I want to ask you a, a question, and it's a very important question, and it's not a rhetorical question. You know, preachers often have the rhetorical uh, question. This is a question that I want an answer to. What is the socially acceptable way to answer this question? What is the socially acceptable way to answer this question? How has your week been? If you said good, you are wrong. That is not the socially acceptable way to answer the question. You said that because I'm up the front, because you want to look holy. You want to look like you're, you're right. So you just said the thing that you think is the socially acceptable way to answer the question, right? You said the thing that you thought, this is sociologically the right answer. But it's the wrong answer. I'm very sorry. You're very, it was a communal wrong answer too. Everyone got it wrong. Well, maybe someone got it right, but you weren't loud enough. Listen, I'm very sure that at this point of time, John Sandisfano got this question right, but he, he was uh, uh, not listening to the question, so he actually got it wrong as well. So the actual correct answer to this question is this, and you've all said it, and you've all heard it said to you, how's your week been? <sighs> busy. It's been a busy week. Good week, but busy. Even if it's been a good week, you have to add in the busy. Oh, it's just busy. It's not been a good week. It's been busy. The kids, man, busy. Busy, busy, busy. It's a socially acceptable way to answer the question, right? If you're not busy, then what have you been doing? You haven't been doing much. Because you weren't busy, you're doing nothing. Obviously, you're lazy because you weren't busy. It wasn't a good week because you weren't busy. If it wasn't a productive week and not busy, then what, what's good of it? That's a socially acceptable way to answer the question, right? You've all said it. You're all like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do say that all the time. Busy. It is the biggest unspoken idol of our culture. Busy. Now, there's nothing wrong with hard work. But we're going to come around a time today. We're going to address some things. We're going to do some pastoral care this morning. And I want you to lean in because it's going to challenge something that we hold very dear to us and we do not challenge in our culture. Now, I come from a hardworking family. My nonno, who I observed as I grew up, and many of you uh, knew my nonno Sam, um, he was a hard-working person. He got up uh, before dawn, went to the market, picked up fruit for his uh, fruit shop. He took it to the fruit shop. He got to have a nap in the middle of the day, but he worked hard in uh, his shop. He spent many years establishing and providing for his uh, seven kids, and I observed how he worked hard. He worked hard in his garden. He had a large garden in, in Rosanna there, um, and he tended his fruit trees. Life was about hard work for my nonno. When he retired, he got another job. He went to a cheese factory and worked there. He turned up at fruit shops around uh, the local area and just worked, whether they wanted him to or not. Um, I actually went into the fruit shop at Montmorency once. My nonna lived in Rosanna, but I went to the fruit shop at Montmorency 
and I was doing my own uh, fruit shopping on, on that occasion, and there's my nonno in the fruit shop, stacking grapes. What's going on here? And the guy's like, oh, he comes in every Thursday, just does some work. Then he goes down to Baker's Delight, picks up bread, does, does the bread run for church. He would find ways to work. He was a hard-working person. My dad is a hard-working person. Many of you also know Dale. He uh, works long hours. He has um, always done above and beyond as far as work is concerned to ensure he is providing for his family. And outside of that, he does a lot for church. He does a lot around uh, the place as well for other people. He run, has run connect groups and whatnot. He works hard. My mum, Mama Marie, as you may know, a pretty hardworking person. When I was uh, uh, just a, a baby, I got left with my uh, nana and she went back to work full time. And she's been a hardworking example for me, except for when the golden child Enya came along, my sister, and my mum took seven years off to spend with her. Oh, oh Enya, so special. <laughs> All around me, there's been this hard work. So what do you think happened when I finished high school? I got off the... Uh, got off the, the jumping block, and I started to work hard. Now, it probably really surprised a few people because I was eminently lazy in high school. But I worked like an animal. You know, in fact, in my whole working life, I have held two jobs the entire time. Jordan knows this. I've worked uh, on occasion, a, you know, at, at the moment, for example, I work at Prison Fellowship full-time, and I pastor the church in the East. And, um, you know, uh, at one point of time, I worked at World Vision uh, five days. I worked another job um, a day and a half a week. I uh, was contracting, uh, doing graphic design for people, and I was studying five subjects at university. Oh, man, I could answer that question. Was I busy? Yeah, I was busy. I mean, it destroyed my life. I had a, a mental breakdown. But, heck, I was busy. We need to address the critical lack of rest in our world. So, let's have a time management course this morning. Nothing more fun than time management. Hello. You know, there's nothing wrong with hard work. Hard work is a good thing. But we need to manage our hard work with rhythms of rest. When we lack rest, we suffer physically, we suffer mentally, we suffer emotionally, and we suffer spiritually. Physical and mental exhaustion lead to a number of things. Emotional volatility a poorly rested person is easily irritated and easily made anxious. At which point, Chanel would probably say, Nathan, I think you need more sleep. For the lack of rest can lead into larger issues. Relationships can become strained. Over time, a person's spiritual life becomes diminished too. Rest is a discipline that has been given to us by God. Research shows there are consequences to a rest deficiency. Lack of rest can compromise your health and the quality of your work. 
Heavy workloads and long hours are a significant source of stress for people. Uh, the American Psychological Association say that more than a third of workers experience chronic work stress, which leads to anxiety, insomnia, muscle pain, increased blood uh, pressure, a weakened immune system, and this kind of stress can increase chances of heart disease, diabetes, depression, exhaustion, exhaustion depletes a person's abilities uh, of managing their interpersonal relationships. Studies show that someone who is tired misreads other people's social signal, signals, and therefore a tired person will project uh, negative motives onto other people and find it hard to resist lashing out in response. And finally, there are spiritual implications to a lack of rest. God created people for both work and rest. And carelessness can estrange people from Him. Do we agree that rest is important? Both those who are overworked and underworked may find it hard to connect with God. The overworked lack the time. The underworked don't see the value in doing so. It's their own value is out of whack. We need healthy rhythms of work and rest. And the Bible sets up these rhythms. Work is good. Not because it's the only good thing in life. Rest is also good. God rested. And God didn't need rest. But he rested to take time to enjoy his creation. Sabbath rest is established in the law weekly. The Sabbath year, following fields, as it was called, was established every seven years. That was leaving a, uh, a field to rest after it produced for seven years. That allowed whatever was in the soil to simply come up. It allowed the soil not to be destroyed from overwork. And in fact, Israel's Sabbath cycles of rest and work included not only Sabbath days and Sabbath years, they also included a year of Jubilee every 49 years. Can you see how God has set up these rhythms of micro rest and macro rest? Little rest often and big rest when needed. One of uh, the fundamental principles uh, of the Bible when it comes um, to our own time and rest is this idea of Sabbath. If we are to live counterculturally, if we are to be different from our neighbours in how we spend our time outside of work, it needs to uh, critically look at how we rest. So what is Sabbath all about? According to the Bible, it's more than just taking time off. As I said earlier, after creating the world, God looked around and saw that it was good. He didn't just cease from his labor at this time. He stopped to enjoy what he had made. What does this mean for us? It means that we actually need to stop and enjoy God. We need to stop and enjoy creation. We need to stop and enjoy the fruits of our labor. 
The whole point of Sabbath is to take joy in what God has done. The Lord described the Sabbath in this way. We'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. It says this, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, it is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You know what's interesting? You know what's important to note here? That the Sabbath rest was directed and instituted in direct response to what? Slavery. You are a slave to anything that controls how you expend your time. The Israelites could not take a day off when they were slaves in Egypt. Not to worship, not to rest, not to be sick, not to do anything that they wanted to do. They went and did as they were told by their masters. Their owners told them where to go, what to do and when. Many of the Israelites would have died, and we can read parts of this in Exodus, they would have died simply from overwork or exhaustion. Many of them would have died abused by their masters, thrown away like property. I mean, we read the stories of those who are trapped in modern day slavery, labor slavery. We read, I mean, I've worked for Destiny Rescue. I've seen the people who are enslaved in uh, KTVs and are forced to do horrible things because they are owned. And it's not that they're owned by something. They are a slave to something, usually money, usually debt, usually family expectations, usually needing to provide for a family that is completely in debt. People aren't actually enslaved, enslaved to the brothel. They're enslaved by their debt. They're enslaved by their family expectations. They're enslaved by the situations they have found themselves in. And those of us who cannot rest from our work are captive by it. I'm going to make a big statement. Anyone who overworks is a slave to it. Anyone who cannot rest from work is a slave to a need for success, to materialistic culture, to exploitative employers, to parental expectations, or perhaps to all of the above. And these slave masters will abuse you if you are not disciplined to practice Sabbath rest. Sabbath is a declaration of freedom from these things controlling you. Sabbath is freedom from parental expectations. And all the teenagers said, Amen. 
Sabbath is freedom from a culture that is in rapid decline. Sabbath is a declaration of freedom from money and its controlling attributes. Sabbath is a declaration of freedom from the love of power and a want of power and so on and so forth. Let me reiterate again, hard work is good. I'm not saying hard work is bad. Hard work is a good thing. But technology and our contemporary idols have created longer and longer work weeks. Technology brings work closer and into our deliberate times of rest. Rest is invaded more and more by Gmail, Outlook and its mates than ever before. Your iPhone means that work is always in your pocket. Our relationship to work is out of whack. It is out of whack. Ours is a society that attaches status to overachievement. We cannot help admiring workaholics. Anything less than so busy that my hair is falling out is thought of as laziness. But it is a mistake. It is a mistake to think that we just need to work. And it's also a mistake to think that all you have to do to stop working is to cease from labour. The inventors of the Sabbath, God, understood there was much more complicated understand, uh, undertaking, right? You can't downshift casually and easily. Puritan and Jewish Sabbaths were exactingly intentional. The rules didn't exist to torture people. They were meant to communicate that in order to interrupt this ceaseless drive uh, of work and the expectation uh, needed a deliberate act of will, uh, one that needed to be bolstered by rhythm and law. You know, Sabbath is more than uh, than just being about the external rest of the body. It's about the inner rest of the soul. We need rest from the anxiety and strain of our society's addiction to overwork. Overwork, which is really an attempt to justify ourselves, to gain money or status or reputation, uh, to think uh, that we're worth something. So we can answer that all-important question, how's your week? Busy! We don't have to earn our our worth. Avoiding overwork requires us to rest deeply in the finished work of Christ. Only then can we walk away from this, this regular and ceaseless and relentless expectation to do more, be busier, get more, more power, more money, more, more, more. It's ceaseless, right? Bigger house. Better school, more status, blazer for your kids. Our school uniforms are so blooming expensive. I just start to look at that stuff. My word. Let's turn to Mark chapter 2, verses 
23 through 28, where Jesus addresses the following of the Sabbath. In many of your Bibles, it'll be titled, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar and the high priest, um, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord of even the Sabbath. You know, preceding this this passage, Jesus is challenged in a number of ways. First, he's challenged for healing somebody using the term, your sins are forgiven. Then he's challenged for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Then he's uh, uh, challenged uh, for his disciples not fasting while John's, the disciples of John fasted. And then in this section, he's challenged for his disciples picking heads of grain from a field on the Sabbath. Of course, the Pharisees here are enacting the letter of the law. And so they're questioning uh, the disciples doing this unlawful thing, working. It's not really working, really. They're, they're picking as they're walking through. It's like picking daisies in a field or chasing a butterfly or something. Um, but they're working on the Sabbath. Well, they, it's kind of working. And Jesus answers, um, talking about David eating the bread that was consecrated, as there was need. But here Jesus establishes himself as Lord of the Sabbath. We know Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. If anyone tells you that this is law, Sabbath is law, you know, any area of the law is something that you must do in order to impress God. And they're not wearing a rabbinical robe with, you know, long hair at the sides and everything tied up. Then you, you've got a bit of a challenge back there because they're not following the letter of the law at that point of time. But what I want to zoom in on here is Jesus's view of the Sabbath. Not the law part, but Jesus's view of Sabbath. Man was not made for the Sabbath. The law was not created because it's the purpose of man. It is not the purpose of man to rest. That is not how we impress God. God made the Sabbath for man. The Sabbath is evidence that in the way God has made us, it is good and helpful for man to rest. It's good. It's good to rest. I know it, it, it reacts a little bit against us. Some of us think, oh, it's good to rest. Oh, it feels a little bit wrong. Hey, the same God that created you to sleep which is total inactivity, has created you to rest. 
Sabbath is not a way to impress God. Man is not made for the Sabbath, but it is good for a man to enjoy the fruits of his labor. It is made for man. It is helpful for you to rest. It is good to rest. We need to rest. And that's why I have titled today's sermon, Don't Take a Holiday from God, but for God's sake, take a holiday. We value work. We value work. We value productivity, but we often don't value rest because that seems to limit our productivity. It seems to be time that is not valuable or useful, but rest is an act of worship. Rest is an act of worship. And let me tell you how. It's an act of worship because it demands something from us. Are we satisfied? Are we satisfied to give up that promotion? To not get as high up the corporate ladder? To perhaps even earn less? To schedule times of deliberate non-productivity for the sake of our families? For the sake of ourselves? For the sake of God? Are we prepared to give up those things for a God that says we need to rest? In practical terms, what does this look like? What does it look like to rest? The Ten Commandments say from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. That's the law. Now, again... We don't live under law. So things get a bit more complex because it's not hard and fast. But Pastor Tim Keller makes a great case about how this might practically look. He says, there's nothing that says you need to confine yourself to a 40 or 50 hour work week. That to be within the biblical boundaries, you need to have at least one full day off and the equivalent of half a day off during the week. For example, if you work and com- your work and commute take up almost all of your weekdays, but you have a full weekend off with church participation on Sundays, then that's probably a sufficient rest. Or you might get up one, uh, one full day off per week and maybe three week uh, evenings off during the week. And that's probably a pretty balanced life. There's still a lot of hours for working, in the rest of that time. The thing is, it's going to look different for everyone, right? If I try and go to bed at nine, nine o'clock at night, I am going to lie there for three or four hours going, this is wasted time. I wish I was just watching TV or reading a book or playing Xbox or doing something else. That would be more resting, right, for me. That's different to what it's like for Geordie, who comes to my house and falls asleep on the couch at 8.30. And that's, that's his thing, right? He likes, likes to sleep early. Good on him. It means I don't have to make up conversation with him for a few hours. And, you know, I can tar and feather him and other things that are entertaining for me and restful for me. So 
what it looks like to everyone is going to be different depending on the rhythm of your life. But there needs to be a rhythm of rest tied into that. So practically, here's a few things that you really should try and do. It's good to try and do. First of all, take some time for sheer inactivity. To veg out, as it were. Rest, napping, sleep, reading, TV, empty time and space. Some of you are thinking, waste of time. Could be dusting. Could be cleaning the kitchen. Could be getting my gumption on. You need some inactivity. You need some fellowing time. You need some time to just let the field rest and let whatever's there just come up. You need some time to let the soil not always be producing. Pause in our work cycle is needed. And sometimes we just need to pause, let ourselves veg that bit to let that stuff, the ugly stuff that has been planted in our heart and mind come up. Let God work on our fields in a time of non-production. If we don't stop, if we don't actively stop being productive, we don't allow God to work our field. How can we listen if we're always filling our heads with something? We need some time for sheer inactivity and complicative rest. We need uh, prayer and worship. We need to be spending time in prayer, devotion, listening to God. We need to be actually stopping to listen, to, con- to contemplate Him, to contemplate His Word, to worship Him. Now, here's another thing that we need. We need recreational and vocational rest. We need to do something that we love. Now, here's a really great lie that we tell our kids all the time and that our culture tells us. This is the lie. Your work must be meaningful. You will find meaning in your work. That's a lie. Now, I'm going to address it pretty head on. Because we think we need to be in something that we find deep meaning in. Now, there are plenty of people who have worked in factories who can say, there isn't really a great deep meaning behind this. I mean, there's really great value in that, right? It provides for people and it's absolutely necessary. But do, you know, those jobs often uh, provide deep meaning Not always. Not always. There are some jobs that are just menial tasks. But you know what is good? And you know what does provide meaning? Providing for your family. Providing for the people that are around you. Doing what you need to do. That provides meaning. You're not always going to find yourselves in jobs that that you enjoy. But sometimes you need to be in that job so you can simply live 
and provide. But what is very important is that we have something in our life, something in our life that does provide deep meaning, that does provide a, a meaningful work. So it might be gardening. It might be carving a statue. It might be doing a short uh, course. It might be taking a run. It might be playing guitar. It might be volunteering at an animal shelter. It might be something else completely. But do something that brings you joy and happiness. You might not get paid for it, but find purpose in activity. Aesthetic rest. Enjoy creation. Enjoy art. Enjoy food. Enjoy the senses that God has given you. This is another thing that we do pretty badly is that we think if we're having like yeah, a, a nice experience that's, you know, uh, tantalizing us in any way, it must be wrong. As if the senses God gave us are wrong. Oh, this tastes good. Is it wrong? You know, or this, you know. You know, not everything that feels good is wrong. Enjoy some things. Enjoy your senses. Enjoy creation. God has created the earth for you to enjoy. And you know what? God created you for His enjoyment. <laughs> we don't like to hear that, but that's the reason, you know. God created Adam. Why? Because he wanted something to punish? Because he wanted to be disappointed all the time? I mean, I mean, it might be the case. But I'm my, you know, my dad's son. He probably feels the same way. But I, hopefully I bring him some enjoyment sometimes. Spend Time with people who refresh you. Or nobody, if that refreshes you. It's true. Some people are introverts. They need time away from people. If that's you, go for a walk. If you're an extrovert, go around to lots of people, speak to lots of people, get filled up, blah, blah, blah. Help Others rest too. This is critical. And I speak pretty directly to husbands. It's not exclusively for husbands, but I'll speak pretty directly to husbands because more often than not, it's husbands. Don't just leave mess around the house for your wife. Don't take a holiday from God, but for God's sake, do the dishes. Help other people take a rest. Sometimes you may need to make a deliberate effort to ensure that the ones that we love can also rest. Sometimes we need to accept a little bit more work to ensure those around us have a healthy rhythm of life too. And if you're in that situation where you're like, yeah, but I go to work every day and my wife, you know, she stays at home with the kids. If you think staying at home with the kids is easy, well, have you been in COVID lockdown for long, mate? 
It is, it is, I'd much rather go to work. Please send me to the office. God, send me to the office, please. Rest. Help other people to rest. Don't take a holiday from God, but you need to holiday. You need to rest. You need to take care of yourself. You will achieve more if you do a bit less. Can I get the band to come up, please? This isn't law. We don't need to do these things to impress God. But that doesn't mean it is not good to rest. As soon as we as Christians start to spell out specific rules about how a Sabbath must look, how a rest must look, what we can and can't do, like whether or not someone can travel on the Sabbath, whether people can go to cafes uh, on the Sabbath, whether or not people can watch television or do any kind of recreation on the Sabbath, we slip into legalism. Now, many would remember the days when that was the case. If you went to a cafe on the Sunday or if you went and did your shopping after church on the Sunday or, you know, if you, if you supported a business that was open on the Sabbath, God forbid! But we don't need to slip into that kind of legalism. We don't need to make it a law. Observing Sabbath rest isn't a way to impress God, but it's beneficial. And each of us will put it into practice in wildly different ways. Each of us will find rest in wildly different ways. Darren Wakeland will fix a motorbike. I just fixed up a Vespa. It's the worst thing I've ever done. Not rest for me, but for him, that's restful. For Geordie, he'll play guitar until his fingers bleed. For some reason, he finds that restful. You know, Dan would do all kinds of nerdy things. I don't know, I just... I can't, I can't get my head around all the hobbies that he has. He'll have a million hobbies and collect Dragon Ball Z cards. You know, different people will find rests in different ways, but we need that rest. If you build rhythms of Sabbath, of rest into your life, it will not simply just make you more disciplined at taking uh, time off, but it will make you more disciplined in worship. It will build you up and it will make you less frantic and less driven in your work itself. And this is perhaps the most important application of Sabbath, the deliberate limitation of productivity. Or does that rile against us, right? deliberate limitation of productivity. The Protestant work ethic, man, that's done a number on us. We just want to work, right? And work is good. But we need to limit productivity as a way to trust God. Be a good steward of yourself and declare freedom 
from the slavery of work and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We do not declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ unless we say you are above everything, including my work. That is the contemporary idol of our day. Work, busyness. And it's a thing that we find hardest to put Jesus Christ as Lord over. Many people are willing to sell their souls to their work. But we as Christians need to be comfortable to say, I'm willing to set fewer goals. I'm willing to give up promotions. I'm willing to give up power. I'm willing to give up money. I'm willing to risk not accomplishing as much in my life because I have to build in rhythms of rest into my life. We shouldn't need to be incredibly successful. We follow a man who gave up all power, emptied himself of all divine authority and took up the form of what? Philippians 2 says it emptied himself and took up the form of a servant. And Jesus, Jesus, a servant, gave us the path to true life, freedom, salvation, and from what position? A servant. Today we can choose this path of freedom cycles of overwork and hurry because of the inner rest that we've received from Jesus through what He has done every single one of us. The thing is, rhythms of rest from work don't necessarily make you unsuccessful. It doesn't necessarily, it won't necessarily make you unproductive. In fact, somewhat counter to our world's wisdom, when you rest, you actually become more productive. Conventional wisdom would say, be busy and do more to achieve more. But Jesus' wisdom is rest and I will achieve more through you. You will be more effective if you put Jesus on the throne instead of work. Is that surprising though? Is that surprising? We were made this way. We were made for rest. It's good for us. We have to actually deliberately inject this rest into our thinking, into our life. And you know what? Some of our worlds are are just geared towards overwork. In some seasons, that's okay. If it's a short season, that's okay. Sometimes you need to pay your dues in the early uh, season of your career when work is hard to find and you're trying to gain some credibility in your field, you're going to have to work hard. Many of us have been through that ourselves. But when you're established in your field, you need to moderate your workload. At some point of time though, if you don't become established, if you don't get to where you wanted to get to, you need to say, even if, even if, even if I'm not as successful, even if I don't achieve, I need to establish this for my good, my family's good, and the good of my God. We need to trust God. and We need to honour Jesus, who is Lord of the Sabbath.
by practicing Sabbath and risking falling behind in career and work. It may happen that you will fall behind and yet retain your sanity. Or it might be that God will allow you to keep moving ahead in your career and keep uh, uh, keep going from strength to strength despite the rhythms of rest in your life. That's up to God. But we need to rest in the purpose and plan of our God. We need to rest in Him and trust that His ways are better than our ways. Sabbath is not resting to rejuvenate in order to do more work. The purpose of Sabbath is to enjoy our God, to enjoy the life that He has given us. What we have achieved, enjoy it. What the Gospel has achieved, enjoy it. Declare freedom from the material expectations of this world. Look to eternity and rest in our God. When we rest, it puts our trust in God because it looks to the hope of eternity that we have to come. We are not made for the Sabbath, but God made the Sabbath for man. Rest is not a holiday from God. It is what God has put in place for our good. Rest is for God. It is good to enjoy what God has made. It is good to rest. So take a nap. Limit your productivity. Don't take a holiday from God, but for God's sake, take a holiday. We've been in a season where work has invaded our lives more than ever. We've been in a season where we have been at one another more than ever. There is disappointment and hurt in families at the moment. There is arguments between fathers and sons. There's arguments and splits in families because of what COVID is and because of political opinion and all of that. And I'm not going to delve into thoughts on that and all of that kind of thing, but there is a lack of rest. There is a consistent overwork. And if you put into that situation and these situations of hurt, a lack of time, a lack of rest, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. We have a people that have grown weary. Have you felt it? I believe this morning many people in our church, and in churches around Australia, have grown weary, tired not knowing how to take the next step, looking forward and thinking, my goodness, I don't even know how to get started into volunteering in church life again. I don't even know how to get started in working in the office space again. I don't know how to get started with these relationships again. I don't even know where to start to fix relationships that are broken or hurt because of weariness because of tiredness. And what do you think? Do you think working more is going to fix that? 
We need to rest more. We need to address weariness. But the greatest rest of all, the greatest rest of all comes as a gift from our God who calls the weary to come to Him. He calls the weary to come to Him and take upon Him His yoke, which is easy and light. He bears the weariness of the world. He bears the tiredness of the world. He bears all of this tiredness and shame and hurt. He bears it. And what does He give us in return? Rest. Rest for our souls. Rest for our hearts. Rest for our minds. Rest for our bodies. That is the gift of God for weariness. It is rest. So let's stand together this morning. Let's stand together. And we're going to pray that God brings rest. God brings rest into our lives. Rest for the weary heart. Rest for the weary mind.